Hi everyone, Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with you. Some pre-show announcements. If you have never listened to these pre-show announcements, then I'm going to urge you to listen today. We've got an important announcement, plus I've really been trying to keep these as short as possible. So today's quick pre-show announcements are a shout-out, a special request, an important announcement, and then finally, what is actually happening on today's episode. For our shout-out, it comes from YouTube on episode 134 for our Oh Yeah! Cartoons review from Brady Anderson. He mentions and says that not every full episode is available online. I'm not actually sure if Brady is referring to every episode of Oh Yeah! Cartoons or our actual podcast. I do know that not every episode of our podcast is on Spotify right now, but all episodes are available on iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. Sadly, I cannot do anything about uploading and adding additional episodes on YouTube of Oh Yeah! Cartoons. Nickelodeon owns all of that. If you are looking through our back catalog of Saturday morning cartoon shows and your first response is, why haven't they reviewed this cartoon? This is crazy. Why haven't they talked about it yet? Please recommend it to us. On any of our social media bios, click our link tree and you'll see a button at the top to submit your suggestion via a Google form. Or there's even a call-in number where you can call and leave a message and we'll include that message in an upcoming episode. We want to make sure that you get the proper shout-out. Plus, our lawyers have told us that legally, if you call in, we are required to review all recommendations. So if you call 202-681-4406, we will review that cartoon on an upcoming episode. A couple of you have started taking advantage of this lately, so thank you. A special request. It's my birthday this month. Yeah, July is my birthday. Want to get me a present? Super easy. Just recommend this show to a friend. It does not have to be on social media. You do not have to go on iTunes anywhere and review us, even though if you do, greatly appreciate it. Just recommend this to a friend, somebody that you think would really enjoy the show. Really appreciate it. I promised a very special July surprise, so let's make good on that promise. To tell you a little bit more about this surprise, please welcome back Dave Trumbor. Hey everybody, Dave here with some big news. First of all, I'm back with a vengeance. And by vengeance, I mean a renewed enthusiasm for revisiting, reviewing, and ridiculing some of the world's weirdest animated series. But more importantly, I wanted to send my sincerest thanks and appreciation to Sean for carrying the SMC torch all these months, and to you, the SMC faithful, for sticking around. You guys are the best. But there are some bigger things coming. The biggest is that we'll be joining the Collider Factory, the quote-unquote ultimate entertainment platform for the true fan, providing access to the most engaging movie, television, and gaming content from a host of trusted social influencers. Every week, Collider will be providing new episodes of content from all their shows on the Factory feed, including The Witching Hour, a horror podcast, Collider TV Talk, The Collider.com Podcast, Saturday Morning Cartoons, of course, and much more. The other big news is that we'll be moving our episode launches to Saturday mornings, So, you can enjoy a new episode every other week with a bowl of cereal on the comfort of your jammy jams. You can also look for insider interviews with industry veterans and reviews of the latest animated releases. Our first new episode under the Collider Factory banner will be released on July 27th, remember that's Saturday morning, and we'll be talking about the new animated feature from Warner Brothers, Batman Hush. If you're worried that the show that you know and love is going to change, don't be, but I totally understand it. The only change here is that we're getting a bigger audience and introducing you guys to some new shows. That's it. And with a bigger audience comes bigger possibilities down the road. More on that in the future. For now, I want to thank you again for listening and for being such great fans. Once again, 
Here's Sean Paul Ellis. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. And we've got a lot more news to come. So what is actually happening on today's episode? Today, it turns out there's a mystery in town. So we're going to call the coolest pup around. Yes, we are 100% chatting about a pup named Scooby-Doo. I've assembled my own Scooby-Doo detective agency with returning guest Alex Beard, new guest Richie Pepio, and the return of co-host Dave Trumbor. A very quick technical note about the recording. We had four people on a conference line to be able to record all of this, and we had a little bit of a buzz in one of our lines. It shouldn't impact your listening pleasure, and we have edited around a majority of it. We're asking the age-old question, can the eighth incarnation of Scooby-Doo hold up to the original? All of this and more. So now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you all the way from Coolsville, I'll be your host, Sean Paul Ellis. Returning to the show, driving the mystery machine, and sporting quite the handsome ascot, please welcome back actor, director, and teaching artist specializing in improvisational theater, Alex Beard. Hello. Thanks for coming back, Alex. Yeah, this ascot is very, very warm in the summer's heat. Well, you can always take it off and use it just to dab some of that sweat, because you are drippy right now, buddy. Oof, I am. It's a mystery. (laughs) I think we actually probably cracked that case pretty quickly. That's true. It's just hot. (laughs) It's just the sun. And joining us for the first time, dressed in a green t-shirt and a distinguished dictionary of catchphrases, Zoinks, welcome to the show for the first time, writer, director, performer, and voiceover guy who writes audio descriptions for the blind by day and does comedy by night, Richie Pepio. Scoob! Oh man, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) That was your Scooby impression and I I loved it. Uh, You gave (laughs) up. It's Shaggy, but Shaggy has seen a lot. He's given up. He's just, I like that you were honest enough to say you gave up halfway through your <laughs> That was my impression of Casey Kasem now. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Jinkies. <laughs> and finally, let us peel back the mask of our weekly villain who would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling, uh, I mean, pesky kids. Welcome back to the show, author and editor at Collider.com, Dave Trumbor. Hey, everybody. Long-time listener, first-time caller. How's everybody doing out there tonight? We are doing great, Dave. Thank you so much for coming back. This is very, very exciting. And I'm very excited to have this particular group of people on to talk about this particular show. If none of the things from the intro made any sense, don't worry about it. We are talking about a pup named Scooby-Doo. So that old chestnut of a cartoon, a pup named Scooby-Doo. And to kind of kick everything off, I want to sort of get a little litmus test in terms of where everybody is regarding Scooby-Doo or even a pup named Scooby-Doo. And so, Richie, I wanted to ask, what's your exposure and your experience with Scooby-Doo and the Scooby-Doo franchise? I'll be honest, I I didn't really have a lot of patience for Scooby-Doo growing up. Whoa. Because everybody loved Scooby-Doo and it had the same ending every time. And I actually preferred a pup named Scooby-Doo. Okay. Which is a, a big twist, I think, on well, maybe what you were expecting. But uh, I have not, I hadn't seen the show since I liked it when I was a child. And I uh, learned a lot about myself in this journey. I'm going to say this. 
I could not be more excited to learn about your self-discoveries throughout <laughs> the course of the next hour. <laughs> Trying to figure out the man behind the mask that is Richie Pepio. I'm excited too. Can't wait to learn more about myself. Yeah. Alex, what was your experience with Scooby-Doo and the Scooby-Doo franchise? I only associate Scooby-Doo with bad things. I, I associate it with it being like like 1 a.m. and me having just thrown up all day and now what? I'm wide awake at night and it's on, uh, on TV because it's the only thing on. And I'm sitting there in my fever dream state knowing what the answer is because it was obvious the whole time. Uh, that's 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 really where I feel uh, like I, I'm connected to this show is, is through sickness uh, as a child. Um, I, OK, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there is. Uh, so first like, and foremost, are you OK? Oh, I'm fine. This would be like this is like a, a once a month thing. You know, like okay. you get sick, like randomly, you get some kind of stomach bug and you're up vomiting and you're like, oh, like, I'm just going to watch TV. Scooby-Doo's always on. And and in my time frame, because when was this? This is like 93, 94, something like that. Something like that. 80, yeah, 88 to 92. Yeah. So that would have been like totally in the time frame of I'm vomiting. It's elementary school and I'm going to watch a pup named Scooby-Doo late at night. I guess I always sort of associated being sick and missing school with watching Price is Right and Quantum Leap, but I'm glad that what, you associated when you, this when with... You were, when you were sick, did you not stay up really late? Like a crazy person? If you were sick, do you uh, not vomit? <laughs> yeah, if you were sick, do you not puke? Do you not bleed? Definitely, definitely vomited, did not stay up late. I pretty much would dime-a-tap it out. <laughs> Would dime a tap it out and just uh, and just fall asleep as fast as possible. Ooh, hold so. on here, I think we have a dime a tap Nyquil divide. Show of hands for Nyquil. <laughs> I was a Nyquil oh, kid. Nyquil. Nyquil. Dime a tap. Dime a tap all the way. The grape flavor was like candy. I uh, wanted best. to be sick to have the dime a dime a tap. No joke. Richie, I think you might have a problem. <laughs> I was a very sickly child. Where's our Tussin kids? Where's our Robitussin fam? <laughs> they're, uh, they're no longer no. with us. You're no longer with us because that was straight poison. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Dave, what was your experience being sick and watching Scooby-Doo or any Scooby-Doo related material? Uh, so unfortunately, I don't relate being sick to watching Scooby-Doo, but I, I oddly have a kindred spirit with Richie here that I actually prefer pup named Scooby-Doo to the originals. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why. I think that kind of the more cartoony, kid-focused pup named Scooby-Doo, it fit better with the very obvious mysteries that these kids were trying to solve. By the time they were like, you know, tripped out, hungry all the time, deadbeat teenagers, and they still couldn't figure out these like basic mysteries, it always really frustrated me. So with the exception of Velma, I really kind of actively hated everybody else on the screen. <laughs> So Pup wow. Named Scooby-Doo kind of like dialed that back a little bit. <laughs> so it was a much more enjoyable experience for me. I'm actually going to agree with you guys. I think that just because of the time frame of having been an 80s kid and this coming out in the late 80s, uh, there were some Scooby-Doo movies that were available prior to this. But then this was sort of the really the the Saturday morning or the, the after school Scooby-Doo that I sort of associated with during that time, too. So I had a lot of exposure to this. I watched this a ton, a lot of very fond memories of this as well. So I was glad to get into it tonight. Guess who else was excited to get into this? A pup named Scooby-Doo came from a listener recommendation, John D or yeah, yeah, underscore vintage on Instagram. He had messaged us and said the theme was one of the catchiest openings ever made. It was one of those kid versions of the regular cartoon show, but it was really clever and a sillier version of Scooby-Doo. 
I don't know that I'm going to disagree with anything that John D said there. Uh, there are definitely some sillier moments and the theme song definitely slaps. Yeah, you're nailing it, John D. Thank you. We appreciate this. And if you're listening and you're thinking, hey, I would love to have you review a cartoon that I love that I hold near and dear to my heart. Guess what? You can go on any of our social media. You can even call in and leave a message. If you call in and leave a message, I keep saying this, our lawyers have said we are legally bound to review that cartoon. So if you have recently called in, and I know a couple of you have, we will be getting to your cartoons very soon. So you can always do that, as well as also as John D. did, you can go on and you can submit your suggestion through our Google form as well on any of our social media accounts. Before we sort of get in and talk about this show, a little bit of history about a pup named Scooby-Doo. So A Pup Named Scooby-Doo is an American animated mystery comedy series produced by Hanna-Barbera. It is the eighth incarnation, which just seems crazy to me. The eighth incarnation of the studio's Scooby-Doo franchise. It depicts juvenile versions of the titular characters and their human companions as they solve mysteries similar to the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You television series. The series was developed by Tom Ruger and premiered on September 10th, 1988, airing for four seasons on ABC, as well as during the syndicated block of The Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera until August 17th, 1991. Along with most Hanna-Barbera production staff, Ruger departed from the studio after the first season, and Don Lusk, a longtime animator for Disney, and Bill Melendez Animation Studios took over as director. So again, it ran for a total of Four seasons, it had 27 episodes uh, before it ended in 1991. So that is a little bit of history about a pup named Scooby-Doo. And to help us fill in sort of the synopsis, what we're going to kind of get into and unpack tonight, Richie and Alex are going to help us sort of understand the synopsis for the show. The new format followed the trend of the babyfication of older cartoon characters, which uh, reduced the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You cast to junior high age. And in doing so, the series reintroduced Fred Jones and Velma Dinkley, if you didn't know their last names, to the show, both of whom had not appeared as regular characters since the 70s and basically erased Scrappy-Doo from the cast. And this new show also used the same same base formula as the original 1969 show, The Scooby-Doo Detective Agency, which was a forerunner of Mystery Inc., solving supernatural-based mysteries in the town of Coolsville, where the villains, <laughs> the ghosts, and monsters were always revealed as bad guys in masks and costumes. So the biggest difference here was the tone of the show. With a pup named Scooby-Doo, producer Tom Ruger built upon the slightly uh, irreverent humor he had established alongside uh, producer Mitch Sauer uh, and Scooby's previous unsuccessful incarnation, The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, which I have to say I've actually never even heard of. Uh, this oh, re- really? Yeah, this resulted in a wackier, more extremely comedic version of Scooby-Doo that satirized <laughs> the conventions of the show's previous incarnations. It was not uncommon for the characters to do wild Tex Avery and Bob Clampett-esque takes when they ran into ghosts and mon- monsters. Yeah, some good old spit takes. What? <laughs> Can I drop some 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo knowledge on you guys? Oh, please yeah, do. please. So this was kind of a weird spinoff that only featured Daphne in the lead. Uh, it did not include Velma and Fred, uh, kind of like I think Alex or uh, Richie was mentioning earlier that it reintroduced those characters to the lineup. Huh. So it was Daphne, uh, Shaggy, and Scooby 
And then some really questionable, slightly racist caricatures of other uh, new characters who popped up. And Vincent Price. Uh, yes. This was the show. If you ever saw one of those like in your fever dream and you were like, is Vincent mm-hmm. Price talking to me through the TV this screen? He probably to, back to me. Exactly. So they actually had Vincent Price as uh, wow. Vincent Van Gogh, I think his character's name was. <clears throat> oh, God. And the long and short of it was they had somehow opened up a chest that contained 13 really like nasty ghosts. Um, probably the same ghosts in that movie 13 Ghosts, if you want to go look that up. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely for the same age range, of course. But what happened was in this series, and this is all off the top of my head, in this series, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, they never actually found and recaptured the 13th ghost. Wow. So it was kind of a Scooby-Doo meets Ghostbusters kind of thing, but they never actually resolved the, the central mystery at the core of the series until just this year, I believe, Warner Brothers um, Animation and Home Video, Home Entertainment came out with a feature-length version called, I think it was Scooby-Doo and either the case of the 13th ghost or and the it, 13th ghost. It's mm. the curse of the 13th ghost. The curse ghost. of the 13th ghost, cool. So it was actually a pretty decent movie for fans of not only that kind of like side series, but also the core series itself too, because it brings the whole team back together. They solve the final mystery of the 13th ghost. And they get to have some more crazy, fun, super racist adventures. So it's it's fun for everybody. You can check it out. Look, Vincent- if you've been hanging out since 1985 and you've thought to yourself, I wish that they would put a ribbon on this because I need some closure, you're welcome. What's fucking insane is that they did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the production team was just like, you know what we've been missing in this entire like run of productions that we do? The 13th Ghost Closure. Everybody's oh been gosh. waiting for that. We live in an era of wish fulfillment. I love it. <laughs> I didn't know that I wanted to see the 13th ghost movie. Now you do. Uh, I just also want to know, is Vincent Van Gogh in it? And if so, did they do like the uh, Don Rickles effect? He he is in it, but it's actually, it's a pretty good impression. And I, uh, it, it escapes me. It's a well-known voice actor and he did a really good job of uh, conjuring Vincent Van Gogh through Vincent Price through probably a Ouija board. So it was a good job. It was actually, Dave, it was uh, Maurice LaMarche. Right, right, right. Perfect, yeah. Who came in and did the voice of Vincent Van Gogh, which I can't, uh, I can't believe that, again, they wanted to go all through all that wish fulfillment, Richie. So you better watch I'm, it I'm at in. the end of this. I want to watch that and the Adam West Batman animated <laughs> movie, which I haven't watched. Yeah, they made yes. it too. <laughs> yes. I feel like Alex is just like, oh, I just got to get sick and it's got to be 1 a.m. <laughs> if, if I'm not, if I'm not having a fever dream, I'm not watching Scooby-Doo. Let me right. tell you that much. We now get to the point that was John D's sort of segue and, and his, his main reason for recommending this cartoon, which is the theme song. And I feel like I am in the process of still writing my cartoon doctoral thesis on theme songs as we speak. So Richie, would you kick us off? What were your impressions of a pup named Scooby-Doo's theme song? I, I loved it, and I actually forgot that I remembered it. I forgot that it existed, but I think I read somewhere online that it was uh, in, inspired or maybe just generally sounds like Little Shop of Horrors. The mm-hmm. urchins from Little yes. Shops have, you get that vibe, that little uh, doo-wop, yeah. late 50s, early 60s vibe, and I think it, it fits the show perfectly well. I like the segues, too, with a nice little doo-wop. I appreciate it. Alex, what was your what was your impression of the theme song? Uh, I would agree with that sentiment. Uh, it's one of those things where I totally picked up on the Little Shop of Horrors thing. The one question I have, and this is something that we can bring back around later. I, this show has so, so many issues with what year is it? What year is it? <laughs> yeah. 
like I can't wait to talk about some of the details of just the episode, but this is kind of like all connected to it is between the, the doo-woppy kind of theme song and then the content of the show itself. So I enjoy the music. I think it's good, but it just I think it confuses the the subject nature of the actual show itself. It's Netflix's maniac of <laughs> of cartoon <laughs> Scooby-Doo adaptations. There's definitely two or three possible decades that they tried to smush into one single cartoon. Oh, yeah. And make it work at the same time. So, no, I love it. I, I want to talk more about this. I feel like it's definitely going to come up multiple times, especially when we talk about animation and some characters. But, Dave, what was your impression of the theme song? Well, first of all, I'm taking notes here because I'm going to write up an article called Scooby Doo Timeline Explained and probably go completely <laughs> insane trying to make sense of it. <clears throat> no, this, like, like you guys said, this is one of those theme songs that as soon as I read the title of the series we were going to be covering for this recording, I, it just immediately popped into my head. Like, I hadn't thought about it in years, probably since 1991, but it just immediately popped in my head. You could hear the, like, the background singers, and I may not have known it word for word. Like if you would have put me on the spot to sing it, uh, I probably would have got 60% of it maybe. But I don't know. It's it's a, a great theme song that introduces the style and the tone of the show. It reintroduces characters, whether you've seen them, you know, for, for 30 years at that point or, or just meeting them for the first time in a really cool way. It shows you the first uh, design of the new characters that I thought was really cool. We'll talk about more of that in a second. And uh, yeah, you just got a good vibe from it. And it was memorable. And it was short, too. It's, it really was like everything you would need and want in a theme song. The fact that you can remember it, God, almost 30 years later. Yikes. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a solid one. I agree. I think the one thing that I really enjoyed about this is that there are definitely dedicated visuals. Mm-hmm. There's dedicated animation that they have, which means that even for a show that went only 27 episodes... Hanna-Barbera was thinking to themselves, hey, we got to get behind this. We want to make something that's going to be a lot of fun, that's going to have an impact, that's going to be an earworm, ultimately. And so you have these fun, dedicated visuals of sort of these short crime moments or kind of mystery moments that they have back and forth with some of the cast as they're doing this introduction. You don't get a, a verbal roll call for all of these characters but at the same time, these have been characters that have been around at this point for for decades. So you sort of already know and associate and remember the names for a majority of them anyway. I did think that it was interesting that you sort of got a visual roll call, uh, but it happens in pairs where they show Shaggy and Velma, they show Fred and Daphne, and then finally Scooby kind of pops out at the end. And everybody knows who Scooby-Doo is. And so that's, you know, it was it was simple. It was fun. It was, you know... The, the doo-wop kind of like 1950s rock and roll theme in a decade that probably wasn't interested in doo-wop rock and roll themes at that point. It, it feels like it's one of those things where it was a perfect storm of multiple different pieces that all came together to make a successful theme song. And I love it. I want to get into some of this animation because, again, this came out in 1988. And so there are a lot of contemporaries that we have around at this time. Richie, what was your impression? What was your feeling? What was your takeaway from watching the animation of this show? It reminds show? me of actually like a, a Fox ABC type of Saturday morning style animation that I, at least to my memory, I would have seen back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and I think I was surprised that uh, Hanna-Barbera had still done it when I when I do- dove back into the show. And I whenever I think Hanna-Barbera, I, 60s, 70s style that uh, feels a little more dated than what we saw I thought maybe like another company purchased the, just the Scooby Two. I was oh so wrong. Um, so I and I liked it. It reminded me of Bobby's World. Maybe something else I would have seen on ABC or Fox. Alex, what was your feeling about the animation style for for a pub named Scooby Doo? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it's almost like you could describe it as softer lines mm-hmm. in the animation. It's like softer but hard lines still. Uh, and and also connected with that, it it just reminds me of like Muppet Babies and just so everyone was doing yep. babies. Everybody. Everybody was doing babies. But they all kind of looked the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's they, I think they all just were playing copycat at that point in time. No, I, I, I have no problems with the animation style. I think it's cool looking. And I, I think it's crazy to to bring up the point about Muppet Babies is that Muppet Babies was airing at the time that this came out. Muppet Babies started in 1984 and ended in 1991. Yeah. And so there was definite overlap for the last uh, couple years during the entire run of A Pup Named Scooby-Doo with Muppet Babies as well. All right, boys, so, yeah. get into my office. You know what's really hot right now? Babies. We got to put some babies on this. <laughs> Wasn't James Bond Jr. around this time too? Oh my god, I wish I wish it was a baby. I wish it was James Bond as a baby solving crime. So. James Bond baby? Yeah. G- it would have been G- like Fantastic babies. Max. MI1. MI1 year olds. <laughs> Perfect. So James Bond Jr. actually would have come out the year that this ended. So mm. it premiered in 91 and then ended the next year in uh in 92. But surprisingly enough, James Bond Jr. went 65 episodes where a pup named Scooby-Doo only 27. Yeah. What what do you think was the impetus to create a babified show? Like, w- what? I guess just to play off of the the franchise. I think just because it worked. Like, if somebody would have tried it earlier and it didn't work, yeah, then maybe everybody else would have left it alone. But I mean, you have that IP for those characters, right? So yep. if you're a yep. studio, you're like, well, we can make the ninth version of the exact same thing and tweak the characters or tweak the lineup a little bit, but. That's not really going to catch anybody's attention. And your numbers are probably dropping year to year. So you do Flintstone Kids. You do Tiny Toons. You yeah, do right. Muppet Babies. You do... They never did a Jetsons, uh, like weird young Jetsons. Mm-hmm. I guess because it was... Jetsons? No. Jetsons Jr. would have been no. perfect or terrible. Who knows? <laughs> it's just everyday life in Jetsons Jr. They haven't gotten the futuristic technology yet. I picture them all just like the, the people from, uh, from WALL-E. Where they're, they're just like laying around on their chairs <laughs> and not doing anything anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's why we saw that weird run of like babification where, Sean, you're asking for like contemporaries. And I honestly, other than the ones I mentioned, I can't think of visually, just visually, ones that look similar because thematically and visually to me, they all kind of get clumped together because they're just baby versions of characters that we've come to know and love for like decades. It was a weird, right. a weird time. Well, as yeah. a kid, I loved those shows. I mean, I loved Muppet Babies yeah, a same. lot. Big Muppet Babies. Yeah. Man. I love Tiny oh, yeah. Toons, too. Yes. I don't think we covered that yet, did we? And I love Tiny Toons. We have not talked about Tiny Toons. I want to bring into perspective uh, two shows that came out in 1988 as contemporaries that we have definitely talked about on the show. One is Ronin Warriors, and two is Transformers Super God Master Force. Oh, God. <laughs> Which... Is that head on? Yes, that oh, is head on. God, I'm getting flashbacks. I have like PTSD over here. Uh, who doesn't? Mm. And if you're trying to place yourself with a lot of these cartoons where they're, uh, you know, you're, you're going back and forth uh, with different characters, you had cops that came out in 1988, as well as also you had Count Ducula, which was sort mm. of a babyification of Dracula. Yeah, somewhat. A little bit. But you also had Dino Riders come out during this time too. So you had a lot of really notable cartoons. I mean, Garfield and Friends came out in 1988. So there's a lot of shows that came out this year that were contemporaries. When did Land Before Time come out? (laughs) Because you said Dino Riders, and I immediately was like, when do we have baby dinosaurs? And I was like, oh, 
we have 15 Land Before Time movies. But that first one. Well, you would be correct that Land Before Time first premiered in 1988. Perfect. Look at that brain. Good job. So this is this is crazy that you had so many cartoons. And I, I guess, you know, visually in terms of animation style, I think, Alex, you hit it right on the head. You know, very kind of soft, very bright colors. Uh, you know, they they reduced the the thickness of the lines that were around a lot of the characters. And at the same time, you sort of sacrificed a little bit of the shading that they had as mm-hmm. well. So it would be sort of that bold primary color to kind of involve you and keep you keep it, you involved. It probably was a little bit faster and a little bit cheaper, too, if I had to take a guess. Well, and you could see that in the way they moved across the screen sometimes because it looked like they almost took like a model and then just like slid it across yeah. the screen because yes. it was almost like a, a 2D effect on a somewhat two, two and a half D background, especially yeah. when yeah. they did like Velma's little uh, their little <laughs> leg walk across the stage or like Shaggy and Scooby's like they just flip the characters back and forth to do their little dance, their little head bob dance. And they all had signature yeah. moves, which I thought was was really cute, yeah. too. The, the character design for them was pretty cool to give them like a signature style and probably to save money. I also have to think, though, in terms of animation and just cost savings, if you include a dance break, it has to cost a fortune just to be like, we're going to put dedicated dance animation in a cartoon. Yeah. It helps when you just flip the sprite back and forth, yeah. though, to make it look like they're dancing in two different directions. <laughs> you just invert yeah. it. It's the same move every episode. They have a same yeah, exactly. move. <laughs> That's it. They stick with it. It works yeah. for them, but they, they don't deviate from it. Look, in episode one, Richie, we're making an investment. It's going to pay off by episode 27. <laughs> we're going to have 27 dance we have a, They have an arc in mind. They have a clear story since episode one. That's pretty good. Good for them. What Every single room. dance studio gets haunted. <laughs> and it just so happens Coolsville has 27 different dance there's, studios. And there's so. Zumba. And there's tap. They got, a, they got a lot of different genres to work through. What decade is this? <laughs> well, you know what's you know what's funny. I looked up. I just looked up Billy Joel right now, thinking like if he did Uptown Girl and tell her about it, his fifties throwback album, nineteen eighty eight. I will jump out this window. But no, it was nineteen eighty three. I was way off. I'm glad that you were wrong, so that you didn't jump out the window. <laughs> that was my ultimatum to myself. If that's, it, <laughs> if that's any consolation, it doesn't sound like it was Richie. So sorry. Any any final thoughts about animation? I guess I'll say one thing that uh, I actually liked the kind of like monster creature designs in Pup Named Scooby-Doo a little bit better than the ones from the original one. Because the original one, were they had to look almost realistic because they had to look like actual costumes that a terrible human being would wear. In Pup Named Scooby-Doo, you can really get away with being like more cartoonish. They still have the reveal where it like, you know, they had... Spoiler alert, they had stilts or they had like some kind of like inflatable thing that made them look like something different than what they actually were. But they're a lot more cartoonish and they have a lot more fun with the design in, in Pup Named Scooby-Doo. They almost take themselves less seriously, which I find bizarre to even think about because the original show doesn't take themselves seriously at all. So yeah. it was more fun, I think. Do you guys remember the episode of The Simpsons? I feel like it was... It was a season when I, it was like 2007 maybe, so I don't know if that's like season 19 or, or what it was, but there was an episode where they were at Coolsville Comics, and there was Watchmen Babies, and he wanted uh, Alan <laughs> yes. Moore to sign it. Do you remember that? This is like all making sense now to me, now that I've watched A Pup Named Scooby-Doo again. That's hilarious. Connecting connecting all the dots. Well, I, uh, that's a brilliant. Because it was, it was like Watchmen Babies V for Vendetta. V for like Vacation. Some, I remember. V for Vacation. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that in particular. Well, well, so when are we getting that animated series, HBO? Uh, I want it. I, I want yeah, it right want now. That, that spin-off. I want those soft lines. Release the Snyder <laughs> cut of Watchmen Babies. 
<laughs> well, I remember like the babyfication thing was really in the zeitgeist in, the, in that time period. Because I remember like I loved yeah. playing Star Wars as a kid. And I always tried to get, I was like the oldest of my cousins and my brother. So I would always be like, all right, guys, I'm going to be Luke. And you're going to be Leia. You're going to be this. You're going to be Ninam. You're going to be Salacious Crow. And they all had to be like babies. They're like, no, we want to be Star Wars babies. And you're our nanny. <laughs> and, uh, what? It's, and I gave up. I gave up very early on that. Uh, they were all like five years younger, but it still sucked. I'm really loving this exploration, learning more and more about Richie. This was just last weekend. Oh, yeah. This was I was like, going to say, this was, was very July. recent. This was my 4th of July. Yeah. <laughs> just a family reunion over the 4th. I don't want to roast marshmallows. I want to play Star Wars Babies. <laughs> How? <laughs> I would love to read your Star Wars Babies fanfic, but Disney is literally listening in on this conversation right now. They're probably <laughs> headed towards your, your place as we speak. Good. I'm ready to go. I, I just said I was about to jump out the window. I was going to say, he's got that window ready to go. He's to right there. I'm releasing all of it. Nobody <laughs> stop me. <laughs> My Indiana Jones baby fanfic is coming out now. Indiana, <laughs> wasn't there Indiana Jones Jr.? Like it was Indiana young Jones. Indiana Jones. Jones. Indiana Jones. Well, young Indiana yeah. Jones. They took themselves a little yeah. more seriously. but yeah. My favorite My favorite character was was Short Round the Fetus. Yeah, that was my oh, man. tiny round, oh, tiny round. Yeah. It's so cute how they got that little hat stuffed up in there though for him to wear. That was real cute. Jeez. Oh my god, we are a bunch of characters right now. Speaking <laughs> of characters, let's get into these characters in this cartoon. We had a very small, but we have a very recognizable cast of of characters, and so I want to know sort of what what our favorite character is from the episode that we watched. We should also mention that for the, the sake of tonight's episode and our snap judgments that we're having on a pup named Scooby-Doo, that we had watched season one, episode four, which is called The Schnook Who Took My Comic Book. Yep. I love saying it. I don't, I don't know why. I just enjoy with those intentional pauses. It's like a Dr. Seuss story. It's a good warm-up. Really? The Schnook Took My Comic Book. Yep. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to check and see, Richie, what was your favorite character from tonight's episode? Oh, Cashmore, all the way. <laughs> <laughs> unexpected. I, I, look, I like to be unexpected. Look, the guy making me crack up, he reminded me of Danny DeVito's brother Gino from Always Sunny. The actor oh, God, John yeah. Polito, if, in case anybody's wondering. I don't know, his, I, I thought his, it was just such a like an over-the-top character who you were expecting to be the villain, and then it ended up being the Andy Warhol style writer of the comic book who was behind it all. Spoiler alert. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Cashmore's characterization cracked me up because I thought he was just uh, the type of person that I would want to play uh, if I was given the script to the schnook comic book. He was definitely the person that watching it, you're just like, Ooh, buddy, you are cutting off your nose despite oh, your face right now. This is. You, you are oh. the Mr. Mushnick of this little shop of horrors knockoff. <laughs> yep. Alex, who is your favorite character in for tonight's episode? So I, I think just in general, my favorite character is Shaggy. Uh, I think Shaggy's always been my favorite character across the entire series or, you know, uh, every iteration of Scooby-Doo. Uh, in this particular episode, though, I really loved the woman who was running the comic book stand because she really sold herself short when she sold, sold that uh, comic book to Shaggy. I mean, what was she doing? That that she had the most like depth to her character in that moment. There's I got a lot of questions. A lot of them were unanswered. That's the true mystery here for me. She sold the comic for what, like twenty five dollars, or or a wheelbarrow full of pennies, whatever that works out to. But yeah, twenty five yeah. bucks. 
Selma, I think her name was. Yes. Yeah, Selma. Selma's Selma comics. Selma. Yeah. Yeah. Selma. Yeah. Selma, where are you today? Mm. Opening, she, I hope she's doing She's got right. a new age she's comic not, book shop. You, she's you just, she's just you closing can. down multiple comic book <laughs> <Yeah>. shops. <laughs> she can't handle it. In today's no. economy. <laughs> right. Tell me about <laughs> I've got a Spider-Man number one selling for $25. Or a wheelbarrow full of I'm sorry. You got to run this Cashmore more store. That's all she can do. She's just working for Cashmore yeah. now I mean, at this he's, point? He's that bought up all terrible. the business in Coolsville. Coolsville? Coolsville. Coolsville, Coolsville Comics, right. run by Cashmore. Cashmore is Coolsville Comics. This Watchmen babies for fifty bucks. <laughs> Alex, I have a real quick question. Do you think Selma and Cashmore? Actually, anybody can answer this. Do you think Selma and Cashmore got together? Because at the end of that episode, they had some sparks. They had some chemistry going. I mean, adults can love comic books too, guys. That's true. Even if you're fifty-five. Even if you're fifty-five. What a specific number for him to be, but even if you're fifty-five, you can still, <laughs> still love comic books and love bilking little kids out of their hard-earned uh, allowance. I think. I mean, they're if they say opposites attract, you know, they could be a match made in heaven. I mean, Paula Abdul said it. I think so. I got. And she's back. True. Did that come out in 1988? If it is, if it did, I will go out the window. <laughs> I don't. I have no idea. Is that MC Scat Cat? What we're talking about? I think yeah, so. That was yeah. MC Scat Cat. Who would be fit right in as a as a villain on this show? <laughs> Take off his mask. It's Paula Abdul. <laughs> you guys are not gonna fucking believe. Are you this. fucking kidding me? Is it? 1988? It came out in 1988. <laughs> that song Jesus. came out in 1988. Oh my god. Well, it's been a nice chat, guys. The window is right in front of me. <laughs> oh no! It's on the it's it's on the Paula Abdul album forever. Your girl. It's not, yes. a, it's not worth it. <laughs> Well, the good news is if I take two steps forward to get out the window, I can still take one, two steps back. One step back? Yeah. Shit. I think I fucked it's two it up. steps back. <laughs> two <laughs> steps forward and two steps back? It makes no sense. You're back where you started. <laughs> you could go to her Vegas show that she's, that she's got on and, and learn yourself. <laughs> Jesus Pitch. <laughs> That's my pitch. That's your pitch. <laughs> That's my, my plug, I meant to say. Dave, who is your favorite character this evening? Uh, I think, well, my favorite character this evening is one of the three of you. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> From, from Scooby-Doo in general, it's always been Velma, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, Velma traditionally was kind of always like the quiet one in the background who was figuring shit out and getting shit done, only to let everybody else in on it at like the last minute. Like, all right, dum-dums, here's the answer to the riddle. I figured it out a long time ago, but I had to put up with your shenanigans this entire time. And you made things a lot worse, but that's fine, because I'll just hang back here and, and figure this out. In Pup Name Scooby-Doo, she has the same kind of like character but her energy is different i guess right she has like a different kind of like way to go about it she kind of like scoots across the screen which i think is super cute she's got a magnifying glass which they use quite a few times and she actually gets to break the fourth wall and talk to the audience and ask kids at home if they know who who was responsible for uh for stealing the comic books i don't know if that's in every episode but i feel like it's a very velma thing to do um and just in the broader sense of velma both linda cardellini and Jessica Negri uh, really make Velma a character worth watching. And I'll leave it to you to Google. It's hard to, it's hard to work a pumpkin-colored turtleneck sweater, honestly. She does it. So if, she if does you it. can pull it off for 30-plus yeah, years. Yeah, 30 yeah. plus years. So if you can do that, you get extra points in my book. Uh, I will say, though, for tonight, with Velma being my normal favorite right. character in a Scooby-Doo, the one character that I really did enjoy, which was sort of a newcomer for this, was Red Herring. Now, I've, I have a question real quick before you get rolling on that. Was Red Please. Herring ever, did he ever pop up in any of the previous, like, seven iterations? Do you know? I don't believe so. I so believe it's brand that new he, for this? Okay. 
He was a character that was specific to a pup named Scooby-Doo. Okay. I loved him as, uh, as an antagonist. I, I enjoyed the fact that there were moments where he sort of kind of felt like he wanted to become part of the group. He was sort of that outsider looking in. He wanted to be a part of the, of the team. He wanted to be there solving some mysteries. And, you know, there are just these multiple moments where, you know, he's, he's having fun uh, at this comic book convention, dressed as a character, scaring kids for, for almost no reason as this giant eye monster. Uh, and then ultimately at the end, you know, he's stealing a comic book and, and he's getting a, the last of the comic bubblegum bombs blown up on him. And so I love him as sort of a foil to the, the Fred character. Uh, but there were just multiple moments where I'm watching him and I'm thinking to myself, he, he, he really wants in on this, this group. Like he wants to solve mysteries too. I think if they ever gave him an invite, he would jump on it in a heartbeat. And I just, I liked that addition of a new character. Dave. So do you like, uh, are you okay with his pun of a name? Are you good with that? I, I, I'm fine with that. As, okay. as somebody who is a redhead, I enjoy the fact that, you know, the pun is almost way too unnecessarily on the nose. And I love the fact that he's also a ginger character that they introduced to the, the cartoon as well. I did like in this one, he gets a, uh, they have a callback joke where Red has an antic kind of early on, not to get too deep into this, but like he has an antic early on where a guard essentially just like hauls him out and then right. off screen. And then they repeat that exact same thing later at the end of the episode as a stinger. That was a cute kind of like callback to that. Did you notice, at least in the version that we watched, the color correction on that guard was way off. Uh, oh, it was from, a little jank. It was it a little was jank. Real jank from one to the next. Yep. So there's a couple things like that. I, I noticed a couple other things I want to see if you guys... Uh, saw that too throughout the course of the uh, the watching, but I'll 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 bring them up as we talk about this episode. I, I got an interesting vibe from Daphne, you know, where it seemed like she's at that comic book convention and she makes the comment almost within like the first couple minutes and saying a comic book convention is full of people who won't grow up. And as maybe like a kid watching this, it would have gone right over my head. Sure. But as an adult watching it now, it was like, oh, okay, gang, like. I'm I'm a 38 year old man watching cartoons right now. Uh, yeah, I don't want to grow up. I really don't. I also have to say kudos on the timing of this episode because it's like a week. It's like days before Comic Con that this is coming out. So like beautifully <laughs> right. done, whether it was planned or not. Beautifully done. Uh, it was not planned. <laughs> can I can I tell you my theory? Yeah, I think please. I think Fred and Red Herring are related. Ooh, you think he's hair? a literal redheaded look, stepchild? Yeah, I think he's nice. I think he's the child that's locked in the basement that he's not loved by the parents. I was gonna say, is Fred in the same house? Because that's pretty fucked up <laughs> that they never address it. Look at them together. Like if you look at an image of them, they have mm-hmm. spitting image face and mm-hmm. and their their build. Like Fred has a bigger chest in uh, a pup named Scooby Doo than he does in the actual Scooby Doo. Uh, the original series. He was and a big bone child and he kind of thinned big, out over time, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But but they look very similar. They got the same eyes, same eyebrows too. Hmm. I need a genetic screening of uh, Red Herring, which is an obviously a made up name, and Fred Jones, which sure, that's good old fashioned American name. I need a genetic screening of the both of these. We need like a Maury Povich. When did Maury Povich come out? If it was 1988, I'm shutting this down. <laughs> it was 1988. Damn it. <laughs> it wasn't. I, I'm not even going to look it up. <laughs> so don't give Maury Povich any Google traffic, please. Yeah, I'm worried about a self-destructing on the year 1988 right now. Yeah. That's my biggest concern. Oh, it was uh, 1991. 
the year this show ended. Oh my god, mm. so many things are happening. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I want to now get into sort of uh, our, our plot discussion. Now, we're, we're not going to go through and we're not going to talk about beat by beat of everything that actually happened in season one, episode four, the schnook who took my comic <laughs> a book. Uh, but... I have a couple questions that I sort of wanted to to to, to throw out to the group and, and sort of get some of your your answers, your impressions about this. And so first, I wanted to see, uh, were there any unanswered questions that came up from this episode? Anything that you, we need to talk about that we need to definitively get resolved right now? I, I want to ask, uh, did you guys notice the green stop sign? in the like parking garage or whatever it was towards towards the end after Scoob and uh and Shaggy don their rocket skates and bust through a, a traffic like blocker there's a green stop sign and for whatever reason I was really fixated on that what I didn't see I that. missed that I missed I that. don't know if it was a color correction thing or if it was supposed to be like a weird joke from an animator because it's like they were supposed to stop at the stop sign to not bust through this barricade but they did anyway so it's kind of like well, that would have fucked me up, too, if it was like a green sign that also said stop. I wouldn't know what to do. I just thought that was an oddity. Yeah. I mean, I think Coolsville is pretty unique because mm. there are no stop signs in Coolsville. Just everybody's that one. Just, everybody's green and going all the time. <laughs> in whatever decade this takes place in. I guess that's <laughs> Alex's question if you want to if you want to. I really that. want to. That's that's my biggest question. My biggest yeah. question is when is this? Because she has Velma has a computer that she pulls out of like a briefcase. <laughs> It's like, huge. It's is, bigger than she is. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it, the question is: is is this laptop from the fifties, and she's just in like super future tech? Is it the seventies based on their clothing, mm. or is it like the late eighties, early nineties based on this computer tech that she's got? I really don't know. Well, and then the music could be like the fifties too. Yeah. yeah. They also have magic, though. Do they have magic? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, they, they, you can go into a doghouse and inside it's like a mansion. Sure. You know, they have like Harry Potter, Mary Poppins style. Nothing is what it seems on the inside. <laughs> talking the dog inside. to begin with, too. So, yeah, but he doesn't speak Ooh, well. You so, guys have never you seen know. a talking dog before? Uh, Do I have a YouTube no. video for you? <laughs> <laughs> a series of YouTube oh, videos. Even. <laughs> a whole playlist. <laughs> No, I mean, she's definitely pulling, Velma is definitely pulling objects out of a hammer space that are, are right. bigger than her, that don't make any sense in terms of what she has that's available. I mean, laptops were available in 1988, but they were giant. I yeah. mean, they were... They were the yeah. size of children. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I could say for the laptop, it might have been a 1988-style laptop, just sort of bigger and more exaggerated for the cartoon. Do you, mm. think, do you think it was the 80s that this show was taking place? It's, it's so weird because if you look at the characters they're obviously based on, they were teenagers in, what, the 70s and then into the mm -hmm. 80s. So you would think they'd maybe set it in, like, the 60s. Yeah, but that's what I, yeah. But it's not really set in the 60s. But it's hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, she wouldn't have that, mm. that crazy computer in the 60s, probably. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's really tough. It's timeless, I'll say. Yep. I mean, they could be friends with James Bond Jr. and he could <laughs> loan them back. That's true. That's fair. They could have the pipeline simple. from Q. Yeah. yeah. It's just James Bond Jr., everybody from Scooby-Doo, a pup named Scooby-Doo, and they're just chasing <laughs> scum around the world. Oh, my God. We have mentioned James Bond Jr. now on multiple episodes since times. watching James Bond Jr., <laughs> and uh, oh, really? I love every minute of it. I'm here for uh, it. I'm can here you, for it. Can you guys imagine? We've talked enough about, like, the babyfication and stuff. I don't mean enough. I mean, I could write a dissertation on it, but, like, 
<laughs> we've mentioned it enough times. Could you imagine if there was like a babified universe, like a shared universe, like the MCU, but for like Hanna-Barbera baby characters? Mm-hmm. They've never done anything like that. And I feel like most of their properties are just kind of, eh, everybody's forgotten about most of them, except for a handful here or there. That would be a weird way to try to like bring everything back together is make like a weird shared universe for <laughs> Hanna-Barbera. Maybe not the babies, <laughs> but just in general <laughs> to bring those characters together. They, they just, they go all this way just to correct the continuity issues right. with uh, <laughs> Little Pup Scooby-Doo. They travel back in time okay. and they kill all babified versions of themselves. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that you like pose the question, Dave, of should they do a like a baby universe, but then you were like, eh, but like maybe just for Hanna-Barbera, I'm like, just do it for all babyification mm, for cool. any baby cartoons that are out there. Get everybody on board, you know, put we them want... all in the same daycare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Just get every baby cartoon that you can all together. I'm talking like Rugrats, get uh, Muppet babies, Flintstone kids, you know, let's get a pup named Scooby-Doo. Throw them all together. Well, interestingly, Rugrats did the exactly. opposite. Exactly, I was just thinking that. They did all grow up. And it was yeah. real creepy. Much later. Yeah, and yeah I didn't want to see. I don't want to know what they're doing as teens. And they still look like lumpy. They're, baby they're still head. lumpy teenagers. They still look lumpy. They were doing a lot of heroin. Everybody looks smelly. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... They went down some dark paths, guys. No. <laughs> yeah, they just stay looking like, you know, youngins. They had to do that. <laughs> Keep it going. All growed up. Ah. Uh, at some point, I guess, presumably <laughs> the fontanelle in their craniums will just stop shifting around and they won't look as lumpy and as mushy. But until that point, I guess that doesn't happen because, I mean, Stu Pickles seemed like he was an adult that had non-floating parts yeah, of his he was, skull. He was real lumpy. He was, not, he was yeah. not that lumpy. He was not he was lumpy compared lumpy. to the kids. Grandpa. He had hair. I mean, Grandpa was yeah. lumpy, yeah. yeah. Dee Dee had lumpy hair. She, she had like a Marge. Simpson I feel like she had like a yeah. perfectly spherical, smooth skull under there. Oh yeah, they should shave that yeah. off. Just I've drawn many, many uh, Rule Thirty Four images with that. Oh boy. Moving on. So I don't. Yeah, I don't know what era this would be in. I think it's just kind of timeless, which I kind of like that idea of it. The, the very kind of like yeah. free flowing nature of it. They're just like these are just kid versions of characters you know and love, and we'll just plunk them down in kind of contemporary times, but throw in some fifties doo wop and some like eighties technology and have fun with it. I was cool with that. I'll say for me, Alex, it definitely happened in the late eighties, early nineties in my mind. And the only reason that I'm I'm putting it during that time frame is because that was the time when I was actually going to comic book conventions myself getting people to to sign comic books, playing Magic the Gathering. And so for me, that was sort of uh, something that was indicative of that time between like, I think when I was eight and like 11 years old is when I was going to comic book conventions. Can I ask you guys if you have a favorite uh, hero and dog combination? Because we not only have obviously Shaggy and Scooby from this this series and the, the series that came before it, but in this episode itself, we get what is it, Commander Cool and Mellow Mutt. Mellow Mutt. So yeah, Mellow yeah. Mutt. So there's an there's a comic book inside this episode that is based on a superhero and their dog partner. Do you guys have any favorite uh, comics with those pairings? Uh, Superman and Crypto. Can you think of any more? Uh, an Ace Ace the Bat Hound, which I don't the think I've ever seen. But they <laughs> oh have, my they god, have Ace yeah. the Bat Hound. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my favorite one was probably Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt, which was another bizarre yeah. 
hero versus like a comedic sidekick kind of thing. Yeah. You remember that one? Oh, 100%. I don't. No, I, I'm just, I'm like, I'm struggling beyond <laughs> sort of what Richie mentioned, just with the, the Superman combination of just kind of pulling people and dog combos together. Kate, if we're going babyfication, mm-hmm. the superhero fication, if that even is a word, of a lot of these of a lot of these cartoons exists in random episodes too. The Rugrats were super babies at one yep. point. We had Doug turning into Quail Man. That's what I was about to say. Quail, Quail Man, Man was big. Quail Man was big. <laughs> Quail Man and 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 wait, was Pork Chop? Yes. I think he was, yes. yeah. Quail Dog. Quail Dog. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So there you go. There's yep. yours. I was just looking that up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking it up. Anything specific that you loved or that you absolutely hated about this episode? Uh, something I loved and going back to just the comic book convention, not I appreciated or at least I, I didn't really seem to notice there were there were no like derogatory. Look at these nerds mm. that I might have expected from a from like a Comic-Con themed episode in the 80s. You, you got to think about who's making this, though. You know what I mean? Uh, Livelihoods at stake here. We got some animators. Yeah. That that is true. That is true. But you'd expect like, you know, uh, even even some of the best cartoon shows rely on some tired tropes. And this was before that trope was incredibly tired. We're like, oh, only nerds go to comic book conventions. Yeah, (laughs) I I liked the fact other than Daphne saying that comic book conventions are full of people who won't grow up and then sort of cash Mm -hmm. mores you know, lament at the very end about how he loves comics, but he's 55 years old and how can he continue to love something? (laughs) Again, it goes back to Alex's point is like, the people who were creating this were probably 55 year old straight white guys who loved comic books. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if this was sort of an, to me, there was a portion of it that felt like it was an inside joke where the writers were kind of making fun of one another. Uh, You know, and, and I, I think that that was fine. Do I think the joke is still funny today? No, I, I don't. Yeah, and you, you got to remember too, like 88 or whenever this came out, probably 88. It wasn't, Comic-Con isn't like it is today. It yeah, wasn't, it wasn't like cool. It, today. it wasn't cool, man. Quote, no, they quote, actually cool. like s- still sold comic books, right? And that was like yeah. their main their main thing. You can go mm-hmm. meet your favorite writers, your favorite artists, mm-hmm. get stuff signed, buy stuff, talk to people who did like the same stuff or discovered new stuff or all that kind of stuff. It wasn't for these TV and movie studios to promote the next big thing coming out next year. And also yeah. wasn't nearly as popular as it is today. Was Comic-Con even around right. back then? I don't even remember what year they started. Uh, yeah, well, no. It's so like San Diego Comic-Con. Now you have yeah, a comic I convention know. everywhere every weekend, but. If Comic-Con started in I know, I didn't want to bring I'm it up. I'm going to jump out my window. I didn't want to bring it up because it might have. March, yeah. March 21st, 1970. Okay. okay. I was going to say, it's been going for a while. It just didn't really catch fire until the last 20 years yeah. or so. I think the thing that that bothered me the most is having such a young animator and only having three issues of his first edition left. Like, what the hell happened? Did the whole world catch on fire? Like, why are there only three (laughs) copies of this comic book with such a young series? But then they had a pile of them elsewhere. So, like, had he just been stealing them for, like, years and keeping them in the costume for whatever reason? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) To, To piggyback off of Alex's point... Yeah. They make that comment then towards the very end that they had found some they had found an extra issue that Shaggy had bought it when he was young. And I was like, but he's a baby in this. How much younger 
Well, does he need to be? Who let who let that baby inside of the comic book? They, fla- they have a flashback to that, which was hilarious. Yeah, they have a. It is such a short yeah. flashback. It's just for one like goo goo. Like, you get a one goo goo in, and that's it. There was like I was surprised they even bothered with the flashback. But they literally raised more questions. They literally babyfied them, so they made an actual baby Shaggy in a diaper pulling a puppy yeah. puppy puppy, not just pup, but a puppy puppy Scooby Doo, uh, in on a wagon. I'm also questioning Scooby-Doo's like age throughout yeah. all of these years because Great Danes only live maybe 10 years if you're lucky. And this <laughs> sucker's been around for a long time and he's been a puppy for a long yeah. time too, apparently. So Maybe they replaced him and we don't even I think know. they probably did. They, they bought one, yeah. <laughs> I hope he's like cloned at least because I don't know, like he has to learn how to talk each time. I don't know. I don't know the logistics I can see. I can see Vincent Van Gogh coming up you know with some what? kind of clone formula in his lab. Oh, God. He was mystic. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. Or or Scooby is a ghost himself. Whoa. Yo. There you go. Scooby Boo. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, Scooby Boo? I just came up with that now. I didn't write a note for that. Scooby I didn't plan that out. Scooby Boo, Richie. Scooby Boo. Reward me. Reward Never been me. done in 50 years of Scooby Doo. Has it ever been I done? I don't think so. Tell your friends. <laughs> Write some fanfic about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want to sing real quick. I want to sing. Um, I want to sing a song. I want to sing Casey Kasem's praises because uh, I thought he was just a radio guy who did a shaggy voice on the side. And I think, you know, he kind of tries to make Shaggy sound a little younger. So, you know, good on him. Was that actually him in this one, too? I didn't do my due diligence. I that believe up. Yes, it, was. it was Casey. Kasem. I believe it that's was. pretty impressive then. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Casey. Yeah, I thought he actually really sounded great with this, which this sort of brings us, you know, to the whole babification. And we've we've kind of talked about this and we've we've hinted about this. But ultimately, what what were you, what were your feelings? How did you feel about seeing something that is some a cartoon that is so ingrained in our zeitgeist go through sort of this babification process, uh, which we keep saying babification. And every time I say it, I'm just like, I kind of wince a little bit. I'm like, Ugh. yeah. It's weird. They become total babes. I mean, it happened to Velma. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I think that this is something that, you know, we, we've talked about a couple Hanna-Barbera cartoons, um, you know, that have gone through this. We've had some Warner Brother cartoons that have sort of gone through this process. And even, you know, with Jim Henson and the, the Muppets. Man, you know, with young, Muppet babies. young Gonzo can get it if you ask me. <laughs> Doesn't he still Jesus. have a diaper on, man? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> Too far. I think <laughs> <laughs> not far enough. Forgot like, no diaper. Here. I'm with you. I'm good to go. But like that I'll, diaper. I'll see just... you on the message board. <laughs> see you on the message board. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think that you know we we've talked about maybe a handful of cartoons that have gone through this process, but for for tonight, you know, did this. Was this successful for you? Did you enjoy sort of the the babification of a pup named Scooby Doo? I did. I, I I actually I don't like the idea of babification, but I really do. I love Muppet Babies. I loved Tiny Toons. So I I really like at least the ones that I can remember. I remember fondly. Uh, so which is which I guess is a surprising twist the idea of babification. How much of that? How much of that do you think is nostalgia? A lot, probably, because I haven't watched them lately. But I mean, I, I remember Muppet Babies is probably the reason 
I got into Star Wars as big as I did because I always loved that Star Wars episode of yeah. Mother Babies. Yeah. So parody episodes of kind of getting the tone of the show and still being able to appeal to kids who might not have seen the original, the thing that they're parodying or making fun yeah. of. So, you know, I can only really think of like two good examples, but I really did love those examples. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like from what I'm hearing, everybody's cool with babification. <laughs> Seems like we're all on board. Any any particular cartoon that you guys would be watching now that you would want to babify? <laughs> this podcast. This ba- <laughs> I think this podcast should be babified. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, Alex in a diaper, he can get it. I can get it. (laughs) He can get it. I'll see you on the message board, Alex. (laughs) You know, one thing that I do like, actually, a lot of uh, Japanese anime have inherent babification in chibi stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So they have like a whole separate um, subsection of anime that's chibi. That's usually just like little short two, three minute episodes featuring your favorite characters in like tiny, like two head tall, super cute. Uh, chibi form so it's kind of funny that they kind of do that as like a normal part of their process it's, it just goes to the fact that like we own the ip we know it's cute we know people love it and we can sell more in different toys books games all kind of stuff with that so i'm i'm okay with it i'm okay with the chibi process i don't like everything that comes out of it i don't like most of the stuff that comes out of it but i like the americanized like babification stuff too uh real quick i wanted to say i did appreciate in pup name scooby-doo that they kept some of the core ideas from the Scooby-Doo franchise, right? So we had a music sequence. We had a, a song. We had a chase sequence before they could unmask the, the final villain. I like that they carried that over, even though I don't like the fact that it exists to begin with, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's not my favorite part of the episode, but I like that they kept it intact from the original series. And I, I know that we had talked about it earlier, too, just the extension of this where Velma sort of looks at the audience and kind of guides you along the path of like, here are the clues that we've talked about in the episode where blues clues like Velma very clearly in a majority of the episode isn't saying a lot verbally, but she's indicating, you know, through like clues and the actual word clue up on the screen multiple times that this is something to maybe pay attention to. And so when she gets that recap at the end, I thought that that was kind of a very fun sort of rewarding moment to kind of, call back a couple of those moments, recap and sort of take take you through the process of exactly who do you think the who do you think the villain actually is before they unmask him. So it was nice to have that moment to build up to the reveal. So I did I definitely enjoyed that. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't necessarily like the pandering that this show had to well, go on. <laughs> go on. Uh like because I, I felt like from as soon as the episode started, I knew who it was. It was very obvious. But then they walk me through these clues and I actually didn't realize all of the things that happened. I just solved it in a different way. And, and then I had to sit there for like <laughs> two or three minutes as they went through all these things. And I was like, I already know this. What's going on? And I don't know if it's because I'm a grown man. I'm just mildly <laughs> intelligent. I'm not really sure. But I had it figured out, guys. First of all, you have to show your evidence in court. So it's important <laughs> to keep track of all those cases. Because when these kids eventually get to baby court, then they'll have to plead their case. Oh uh, my god! I want the show Night Court babification. How fun is Animated baby bull Shannon would be the cutest yep. thing in the world. Perfect. Baby, baby Dan Fielding would be still kind of lecherous, though. I'm not sure about that. There, there's probably a flashback episode somewhere. I mean, with that show, 
So I just remember Star Trek The Next Generation gamified themselves around that same time. Oh, <laughs> Late probably. 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. I feel like, Alex, were you the kind of kid that in maybe a math class when you were growing up, you would just turn in your test with all the answers and they'd be like, well, we asked you to prove your yes. work. And you're like, yeah, but I got the fucking answer. Yes, that was me. That was <laughs> no, me. That was you? Yep. Perfect. I used to get in a lot of arguments with teachers saying, well, the, the ends justify the means. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't. I hope that wasn't in your history class. Uh, <laughs> it worked for Napoleon. Uh, oh God. Uh, but were there were there any particular uh, moments of this pandering that was kind of that rubbed you the wrong way? I think just that end sequence where we like they went through all of the uh, the the clues basically. I just didn't need it. Okay. I'm pr- I mean, I'm with Alex. Like, I'm pretty sure every single episode of Scooby-Doo, Pup Name Scooby-Doo, 13 Ghosts, name it, every single one that I watched, I was just like, I would ask myself, like, are the rest of the kids in the world this fucking stupid? Or yeah. is it just yeah. the show <laughs> is, like, yeah. below their level? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I think of that that trope, and it, I mean, it fits shows like Blue Clue, Blue's Clues and, like, Dora the Explorer, and those are preschool-age sure. programs. Preschool, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I think anything that is geared towards a kid who's in elementary, middle school, or even high school uh, watching the show, it, it, or adults, I mean, it, it doesn't fit the model, I don't think. Like, have you guys watched Case Closed or Detective Conan, or um, they're the same one, yes. just two different names, or like Ace Attorney or any of that stuff, where they actually sometimes present like a decent mystery, but also give you the clues along the way to actually solve it. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff I appreciate. Yeah, it's yeah. Not yeah. too much older. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just yeah. almost feel like time could have been better spent on story than just recap. Sure. Or a dance sequence. Yeah, 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 yeah I do like the dance sequence. <laughs> yeah. I hate a dance sequence, but I like that it's there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would look if they're going to reboot Scooby-Doo. I have two questions for you guys. One, would you like to see a kind of like not necessarily serious, but at least like serious when it comes to the mystery and presenting clues? Would you like to see a more like mature one where it's like, oh, that's actually hard to figure out because there's not just two new characters you introduced this week. It'd actually be very cool. Would you like to see that like a real detective? show? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. There's enough nostalgia out there. But if it was, say, on Adult Swim, maybe with more adult humor. That would be fun. You should pitch that to somebody. Yeah. God, I've got a, I got a stack of them. I'll add it to it. I really want to see a version of Scooby Doo where everybody's in their nineties and they're still trying to solve mysteries. <laughs> Who stole my pudding? Like in, want, uh, in the nursing home, yep. yeah. Who stole yeah. my pudding? Yep. I want the reverse babification. I want octogenarianication of all of these characters, yeah. where it's just advanced aging. And they get only as far as the front door every episode. <laughs> you want geriatrification. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Scooby-Doo. She wrote. I oh, my that. God. Yeah. I got another Scoop's one for a, you. Scoob's a girl, by the way. Now we know. Scooby-Doo. Know. Who are you? Because nobody remembers. Because we all have dementia. <laughs> um, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Do you guys think a live action Scooby-Doo series could work? I mean, they've made live action movies and they've been. Yeah, pretty I good. mean, like perhaps a Freddy series Prince with Freddie Prince Jr. Or, um, <laughs> Jinx, now you owe me a Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> Jinkies, you owe me a coke. Yeah, I, I actually, again, if it if maybe had a more adult bent right. or I don't know, I I think it just depends on who's producing. I'm I thinking, think, like, I think, you know, CW or like uh, Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, like that. Like a Riverdale. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That would be that actually would be a lot of fun to watch. Um but I think it would need to have a, a again, maybe some kind of self-aware sense yes, of humor about itself because it's just so cartoony. I want Sarah Koenig um, of serial yeah. fame to start producing Scooby-Doo and just give sure. us some real yeah. true crime Scooby-Doo. 
Yeah, literally just pick them from the headlines. I mean, CSI, Law and Order, yep. been doing it for years. Why not let Scooby Doo? <laughs> Alex, go on. I want to hear the rest of this pitch. No, I mean, I'm on board. It's literally just taking any true crime and just overlaying Scooby Doo with it until they solve it. Sean, can you can you put like a simple, just like quiet melodic piano riff behind Alex's pitch, just so we know 100%. that we're getting like a serial type podcast intro? Yep. Perfect. Thank can, you. Can do. Perfect post production team. <laughs> Uh, there's got to be like a 70s episode of, of the Scooby-Doo with the Harlem Globetrotters oh, yeah. and Phil Spector. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Why did you do that like you're announcing a special guest for SNL? <laughs> I don't because me, I, I have actually I, I have an inside joke. You just auditioned for it. Yeah. <laughs> any any final questions? Anything else that we need to talk about or discuss for a pup named Scooby-Doo? I think I'm good. I mean, the fact that they only had 27 episodes is a little surprising just because of the pedigree. But um, yeah, I couldn't tell you any of them. I could not remember any of them to save my life right now, other than the one we yeah. just watched. Mm-hmm. I do. I do have one thing to say. Daphne criticizes the Bogart look at one point. And I have to say the Bogart look is always in. Mm. It is always in. It's never not in. Daphne, get over yourself. Fair enough. Alex, final. And McWendell. I'm sorry, real quick. McWendell didn't get any love either in our in our conversation, but I thought he was a mm. crazy, kooky characterization. Spoiler alert, he's the one who did it. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. If you couldn't figure that out from the moment he was introduced. Yeah. On the no, show. I think I think Alex said it best with uh I'm a I'm a grown ass man. I yeah. can figure this one you out. Like <laughs> I got, got it. it. Oh man. Well, hey, guess what? You listening right now. Yeah, you listen to this podcast. Uh turns out that uh got some opinions you've got some opinions and you love to throw them out there and you love to let them be known on the internet and so we like to capture all of them and we like to comb through them so that we can talk about them a little bit more and give some honor and some prestige to some of these notes that you've passed on especially on imdb.com and so now we're going to turn this over to longtime listener and friend of the show bobby anthem for this week's love it or hate it bobby take it away before i go into our love it or hate it for this week the first thing I want to say is, welcome back, Dave. Feels good to have the band back together. You were missed, even though Sean has been doing an excellent job of keeping things going smoothly with entertaining shows every episode. And speaking of you, Sean, the second thing I want to say is, happy birthday to you. In honor of the occasion, I would like to sing a welcome back and happy birthday medley. I would like to, but I am not going to, because that would not be pleasant for any of us. So, this week's Love It is titled, Fun Seeing the Mystery Inc. Gang as Kids, by Ali Suave, 0078, in January 2017. Ali wrote, Scooby-Doo and the gang have been friends for a very long time, as evident by this series. Yet another installment of the Scooby-Doo cartoon series, this show features Scooby, Shaggy, Fred, Daphne, and Velma when they were kids. Even at that age, they were already engaged in fun clue-finding and mystery-solving adventures. The series was quite entertaining with its laughs, jokes, and daring rescues, and you get to see the characters' lives elaborated a little more upon. For example... Fashionable Daphne comes from a very wealthy family, and Fred is sort of the fast-talking jock of the bunch, who has antagonists of his own from school. Velma is still the classic bookworm and the brain of the group, 
while Scooby and Shaggy are still the best friends who love food and are the main comic relief of the bunch. 9 out of 10. And our Hate It is titled, An Honest Review, by Generation of Swine 1 in April 2017. This one says, I blame Muppet Babies for this. It came out when it was all the rage to turn the characters into children, and... Well, it worked for Muppet Babies, it didn't work so well for Scooby-Doo, and honestly, Fred was the only real source of humor. Fred's jokes are great, one of the best parts of the latter days of Scooby-Doo, and I believe a lot of them started with this series, but you can't have Fred carry the entire cartoon on his own. Failure. 5 out of 10. Bobby, always a gem. Thank you for the message and the birthday wishes, buddy. I really, I sincerely appreciate it. Bobby is the absolute best. Same goes for me, but thank you so much. I really appreciate the love. Now we're at the moment where we get to give our recommendations of a pup named Scooby-Doo. And so, as always, if you are a new listener, you can say that you recommend this cartoon and you can tell us why. You can say that you don't recommend the cartoon and you can tell us why. And if you don't recommend a cartoon, you can go one step further if you really hate it and you can give it the Who Framed Roger Rabbit style dip where we dunk it and we erase this cartoon from the annals of cartoon history. Richie Pepio, what is your opinion, your recommendation for a pup named Scooby-Doo? Oh, I recommend it. I mean, look, if you want a babyfied show, <laughs> check out Tiny Toons. <laughs> and, then, and then maybe check out a pup named Scooby-Doo because it's not as bad as you might think it would be if you were remembering incorrectly. How's that for a definitive statement? I love the fact that your recommendation was go check out another fucking cartoon. Put it on the DVD. <laughs> and, and then maybe check out a pup named Scooby-Doo. <laughs> look, look it, as far as prequels are concerned, it is better than The Phantom Menace. Oh, oh okay. Wow. So uh, it's doing pretty good for itself. No, I, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Um, and I thought they did a surprisingly good job with a show based on Scooby-Doo babies. Alex Beard, how are you feeling about a pup named Scooby-Doo? Have you been to the pediatrician today? If you have, <laughs> and you have a mild to moderate case of gastroenteritis, I would recommend it. You can sit there. you you got to be a little bit close to the toilet. You might get sick to your stomach, but it's okay because... A pup named Scooby-Doo is going to be there at 1 a.m. for you to hold you, to make sure you're okay, to patronize you with some clues that you already know about, even through your fever dream. But it's there for you, people. Perfect callback, Alex. Perfect callback. Nailed it. Awesome. We've got two recommends. Dave, how are you feeling about a pup named Scooby-Doo? How do I follow up a recommendation that says, watch Tiny Toons, and one that says, (laughs) You should watch this while shitting yourself on the toilet. <laughs> I'll just say I agree with both of them. I don't know. Um, no, I definitely recommend it. I think we've sung its praises uh, all episode long. And I really still enjoy it more than the originals. So check it out if you haven't. And it's only 27 episodes. So you'll probably find something fun in there. Right. Now, uh, we are four for four in terms of recommend. I felt that this was really fun. I had... Uh, great nostalgic memories of watching this when I was a kid, uh, you know, on ABC when this was actually airing, uh, despite this cartoon, not kind of understanding what decade or what specific time period it was actually placed in. I still thought it was a lot of fun. I still think it's a great entry, especially I'm assuming that this was created because there were probably a lot of parents who watched the original Scooby-Doo who then had children 
who then wanted to, again, watch a Scooby-Doo with their kids as a way to relate and kind of connect with them as well. Very accessible in terms of the, the characters that they had for this particular cartoon. So it is a recommend for me as well. So I want to thank all three of my guests for coming on uh, tonight. Thank you guys so much. And I wanted to start, uh, Richie, what do you have that's going on in your life? Where can we find you on social media? Anything that you'd like to plug? Okay, great. You know, uh, something I forgot to mention before, I have a sketch coming out tomorrow about the Mueller investigation, a noir-themed Mueller sketch. And then you could also check out a brand spanking new D&D podcast called Dicey Rolls, produced and GM'd by uh, a guy named Christian Titus, Richie Pepio, at Richie Pepio. Awesome. If we wanted to find any of your voiceover work, where could we find that? <laughs> uh, you could find it on, actually, on Screen Rant. I did voice uh, some, some of their videos. And you can... Uh, you know, you might hear me on some streaming services if you looked in the right places. Some maybe new comedies doing some audio description for uh, the blind. Can't really give some names, but you can search and maybe hear me. OK, understood. I will be filling my browser history with searches for Richie Pepio now. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Richie. Alex, what do you have going on? What would you like to plug, buddy? Oh, man. I've just been binging The Sopranos for days on end. Uh, just sitting here, sitting in my own filth in my house. Baby Sopranos baby or Sopranos. normal Sopranos? Yep. Oh, okay. You got some baby gabagool going I on. I woke up this morning, woke side of the bed. Of the crib? Is oh, that man. <laughs> I said bed, but crib would have been oh, so much yes, better. Would. Uh, you can find me on those interwebs at Mr. Alex Beard or MrAlexBeard.com. By all means, come uh, say hi. Perfect, perfect. And Dave, what do you have going on? Where can the good people find you, buddy? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me back on the show. It really does feel like coming back home uh, to be here. My cheeks hurt from how much I was smiling and laughing for the last like hour and a half here. Uh, and it's been an absolute blast. And I know our faithful SMC listeners out there, Sean has probably already given you the heads up, but we got some big things coming and I will hopefully be back on a more regular rotation uh, with some big news coming up. So stay tuned. We want to give you guys the heads up first before we went international. So hang in there. Uh, as for me, you can find me over at Collider.com and you can find me on Twitter at DrClawMD. You can also find my new book, uh, The Science of Breaking Bad, available at Amazon and from MIT Press. And look forward to my new book next year, The Science of Breaking Bad Babies, which will be published in 2020. <laughs> I, for two seconds, I was like, oh, I'm very excited. Uh, and there's the joke. Got there's it. Damn joke. it. There it is. <laughs> Walked right into that. I love the phrasing of Breaking Bad Babies because... God, there's so many ways that can go uh, wrong. Oh, God. I, I have so many thoughts about like <laughs> the blue meth being like pacifiers for everybody, Ooh, but that yeah. just seems like it's a step too far. That was the line? That's okay. the line. Huh? There is technically one little meth baby in the entirety of uh, Breaking Bad. So There is. So it's not too far over the line because there is one. Yikes. He doesn't get his own book, though. Sorry. Yep. Well... Hey, you heard him on this episode, our friend Bobby Anthem. You can hear him on his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience, with his co-host Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. And Bobby has now started a solo show that is called In Search of My Lost Soul, which is available along with the Inhuman Experience podcast on the Get in the Corner Mixler channel. I will say this. I listened to uh, an advanced episode of In Search of My Lost Soul before it came out. It is fucking brilliant. 
and love Bobby for doing this and putting it together. I cannot recommend it enough. Listen to it, please show him some love. It's definitely amazing. As for me, I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. We perform with Washington Improv Theater. You can find tickets and times with dc.org. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. Want to support this show? Super easy. Tell a friend, review us on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now. I don't care. Slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Remember, that's morning with you. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old-fashioned email, SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can find all the links and everything that we've talked about in this show on our link tree, which is in the bio for all of our social media sites. And you can always listen to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll be back again with an actual third episode at the end of July. Haven't done a third episode in quite some time. So get ready. It'll have some spoilers and some news that Dave has mentioned. So thank you guys so much. And I kind of want to ask you guys if we can kind of go out on a doo-wop Scooby-Doo. Like if we were to do like Scooby-Dooby, 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 Scooby-Dooby. I was just laying down the beat because I knew that was going to be a disaster. I got to go to the Bada Binky. <laughs> the bottom oh my binky. God. <laughs> Perfectly done. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.